0: to be based off of psalm 123 a psalm of ascent i lift up my eyes to you to you who sit enthroned in heaven as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress so our eyes look to the lord our god till he shows us mercy have mercy on us lord have mercy on us for we have endured no end of contempt We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant or contempt from the proud. This is God's word. My brothers and sisters, where are your eyes? Any dad that gets talked into coaching Little League has to ask this constantly to his team because what happens, right? Little boys go up to the plate and instead of keeping their eye on the ball where their eyes should be, right? Their eyes go past the ball over the fence where they're going to hit the ball, and so they end up swinging like this, and right, they miss the ball by a mile. Where are your eyes? When I was in Milwaukee, whenever I I taught classes for high school or, or did devotions with teenagers, I would have to ask this all the time because they really thought that if they put their phones under their desk or between their legs, I would have no idea that they're snapchatting their friends and not paying attention to me but their eyes gave it away because the whole time they were looking down like this and it was really obvious where are your eyes any wife that tries and fails to have a meaningful conversation with her husband while football is on knows that it doesn't really matter uh, what they're talking about, whether she needs a haircut or whether their child needs surgery. If the if the Niners are playing, eventually, right, his eyes are gonna start drifting toward that TV, and she's gonna start hearing things like, "Uh huh, yeah, sure, uh huh." Where are your eyes? a proven fact that your eyes play a major role in the way that you communicate with people. Wherever your eyes are, that is where your focus is. And the writer of Psalm 123, he he takes that concept and runs with it. And he he uses that as a picture to show us that wherever our eyes are, that's where our focus is, not only mentally, but also spiritually. So with that, keep, keep that in mind as we uh start so verse one i lift up my eyes to you to you who sit enthroned in heaven and again remember the context of this psalm right this is a psalm of ascent this is one of the psalms that old testament believers would sing on their way to jerusalem climbing up the mountain to celebrate passover and you remember two weeks ago pastor preached on psalm 121 the first verse of that is i lift my eyes to the hills And so with that fresh in their mind, right, they're lifting their eyes, and they lift their eyes past the hills, up to the sky, and they see where their help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is enthroned in heaven. But it's more than that. The writer of this psalm is using eye language to describe how the heart identifies its God. So, where are your eyes? What do you look to when you feel embarrassed, or humiliated, or ashamed, or depressed, or anxious, or scared? Where do your eyes go? Do you say things like, well, I feel really horrible right now, but at least I have my money, at least I have a nice bank account, at least I have my career, at least I have my success? Oh, I feel really bad right now, but at least I have my family, right? My family is my rock. That's, that's what I look to. Or at least I have my marriage. At least I, have, I just know that I'm a good person. I might feel bad about myself, but I know that I'm a good person, or at least better than that person over there. You, you see what's happening? Right, wherever your eyes go, wherever you take your comfort and your hope in, that is your God. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's idolatry. Right, Usually we think of idolatry as like the Old Testament people when they would not worship God but worship something made of a rock or stone. No. Idolatry is putting your faith in anything other than God. And you see, the, you see what the problem is? Idolatry isn't loving bad things. It's loving good things too much. And putting them into a, a spot in your heart where it doesn't belong. Putting all your faith and your hope and confidence in that thing. It, looking to that thing. Whatever it is for you. And those of you who have experience in life probably know that, you know, if you're expecting something that only God can give you from something that's not God, what's going to happen? You're going to get disappointed in that thing. And your eyes are going to bounce from that thing to the next thing. And then the next thing. And then then to the next thing. And while our eyes are bouncing from one thing to the next, God is in heaven. And you know what he's saying? Look at me! Look at me and live! Look at me! He give you what you're looking for. God is in heaven, and as our eyes go to him, our eyes see that his eyes have been on us since... Before the creation of the world as we look to the cross and see that Jesus lived and died and rose for us. We see that his eyes have always been on us and that's what made him do what he wanted to do for us because he loved us. As your eyes go to the throne in heaven, we see that God's eyes meet ours and we find the, the joy and the comfort and the hope, something real that we can hold on to. That thing, that status, that unconditional love and acceptance and approval that we have been looking for all this time. This is this not working. Yeah, it died. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's verse one. Verse two. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. So in verse 1, we established where do our eyes go. Now we have to establish how our eyes look. And this is a place where your prayer life is extremely revealing. When you pray, do you say things like, God, if you give me this, then I'm going to do this for you. Or do you say things like, well, God, I've been really trying hard. I've been really being a good person. I've been really working on this part of my life. Can, can, you, do, can you do me a favor? Is your thought process, well, well, if I just go to church a little bit more and I give my money a little bit more faithfully and I, I fix this part of my life, if I'm a better spouse, if I'm a better parent, a better sibling, oh, then God's going to give me what I really want. You realize what you're doing? You're bargaining with God. You are looking to God as if he's in a market and you're a buyer or he's a seller and you can trade with him. You're looking at God like you're equal. And if that is how you look at God, according to this psalmist, you are not looking at God the right way. What is the right way to look at God? According to this psalm, like a slave or a servant or a beggar looks at his master. Does a slave have anything to offer his master? No because everything the slave has comes from his master. And so the the way that we're supposed to communicate with God is not as if he's our equal. We're not supposed to bargain. We're supposed to beg. Know your place. He is the master of the universe. Know your place. But at the same time, know your place. He may be your master. But he's also your father and you are his child and he delights in you so don't bargain with him you don't have anything to offer with him beg but my goodness beg with confidence beg with confidence knowing that you there's nothing that you can ask for from from your heavenly father that he can't give you there's nothing too big or too expensive and as you beg for mercy know that The answer is always yes, and that God doesn't give you, God only gives you what you would ask for if you knew everything that he knows. That's verse two. Verse three. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. So verse one establishes where do our eyes go? Verse two establishes how do we look? Verse three. What are we looking for? What are we looking for? And again, this is where we look to our prayer lives and find a lot there. What do you pray for? When you go to God in prayer, what do you pray for? That reveals a lot about yourself, doesn't it? Wh- whatever it is that you are always praying for, right? That's where your deepest concern is, right? That's where where that's really what you're focused on. And I would even go as far as to say that sometimes right what you pray for reveals maybe what your idol is because if all you pray for is god make me successful god make me happy god make me wealthy god make me healthy now now there's nothing wrong with those things but if that's all you're asking for don't you see what you're doing you are making a god out of those earthly things that don't really last and you're using the real god to get those things and if that's all you're praying for, that if those things are what you really, really care about, the irony of it is, is that you aren't asking God for too much. You are asking God for far too little. Because the greatest, most costly, expensive thing that you can ask for from God is this. Have mercy on me. Because when you say, Lord, have mercy on me, you are saying, God, be good to me, bless me, help me, be with me. Not because I'm good, not because I'm beautiful, not because I have anything to offer you, but because I'm evil, because I'm ugly, because I am nothing without you. When you say, Lord, have mercy on me, you are putting all of your trust into the hope that God will not give you what you deserve. And God loves it when you do that. He loves it when you do that. Because when you do that, you are, I mean, that's a lot of faith to put into one person. But you are showing that how much you trust his promises, that you take his word seriously, and that you know that Jesus' all-atoning sacrifice was for you. That's why Lord have mercy is the quintessential phrase of what it means to be a Christian. That's why we say it over and over and over again. Because Lord have mercy is the culmination of law and gospel. When we say Lord have mercy, we are admitting that we are sinners, that we are dead in sin, that we deserve nothing but hell. But at the same time, when we say Lord have mercy... We are putting our confidence and our hope in the fact that Jesus has paid it all and that we are His and that He has had mercy on us. See, usually we think of, well, just ask God for mercy and and nothing more. No, 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 no. You should be asking God for mercy and absolutely nothing less. That's verse 3. And verse 4 we have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant of Contempt from the proud. So, verse one, where do we look? Verse two, how do we look? Verse three, wh- what are we looking for? Verse four, why are you looking? In the Old Testament, right, the, the people that were that sang this, uh, they, you read the Old Testament, God's people had a lot to deal with. I mean, not only did they have other nations coming in and conquering them and abusing them and oppressing them, you know, and it looked really horrible sometimes, but a lot of times their own people did it, right? The poor people had to deal with the the richer people who would take advantage of them and cheat them, right? The, The poor people had to deal with their greedy neighbors who wouldn't share their fields with them, even though God commanded them to do that. As people are on their way to Jerusalem, right, sometimes that was hostile territory and people would shame them and ridicule them as, as they were going. The Old, the Old Testament people had a lot to deal with. And so they, they said this prayer, they said, Lord, have mercy on us, and they knew that God's mercy was going to come. If God's mercy came in the form of them delivering their, for them from their oppressors and destroying all the people that hate them, great. If not, God's mercy will come another way. But God's people will always have a reason to beg for his mercy. What is yours? That's a question that you need to ask yourself today. Why am I asking for God's mercy? Or maybe it's because your family has falling apart. Your children, your siblings, your parents, your, your relatives aren't treating you the way that they should be, and there's not much you can do about it maybe your marriage is falling apart or it already has and you have to deal with the broken pieces of a a broken marriage which is something that i would never wish on my worst enemy maybe it's your health maybe your body is falling apart and there's nothing the doctors can do for the pain maybe it's your past maybe you are so plagued by your past that you would rather die than live another day with all the grief and the guilt and the regret hanging over your head. God's people always have a reason to ask for mercy. Tell him. God wants you to tell him about your pain, your anxiety, your depression, your sorrow, whatever it is in your life that is hurting you, tell him. Does God already know about it? Yes, he does. That's not the point. God wants you to tell him. And actually, the thing is, this is not only a psalm of uh, what we call ascent, it's what we call a psalm of lament. God puts these psalms in the scriptures, and there's a ton of them like this, that are actually really depressing, but it's a way for Christians to express the sorrow that they are feeling to God. You know, it's not a sin to be unhappy. It's not a sin to be depressed or anxious or scared or angry. But God wants you to take all of that and take it to His throne. God wants you to tell Him about it. And He gives you ways to do it. Even when you don't have any words to express what you're feeling inside, He actually gives you the Psalms to express that. And as you go to the throne, as you fall to your knees and beg for mercy from God, have every confidence that He is listening. His eyes are on, your, on you. He, he's not distracted. He, he, all he wants is to listen to you and know that just like you parents, right, when your kids are in pain, right, you feel it, right? How much more will your Heavenly Father feel your pain and weep your tears? As you beg for for mercy from God, have every confidence that your Savior, your God, your closest friend Jesus has overcome the world and has conquered the world and is making a new place for you in the new world to come. As you beg for mercy, hold on to God's promises and know that when you say, Lord, have mercy, you are asking for nothing more and nothing less than for God to be who he is. And will mercy come in in the form of health and wealth and happiness and all the stuff on earth that we like? No. Sometimes it will. A lot of times it won't. Trust him. And beg for mercy and know that the answer has always been yes. And that's verse 4. We'll end today with just, just an interesting thought that, you know, you can't really, like, make, like, a major point of the sermon, but I, I, I thought it was important enough to tell you, so that'll be our conclusion. Um, you look, there's a detail that you might have missed in this psalm that's really interesting. So in the first verse, it's first-person singular, right? I lift my eyes to the Lord. But then in verse 2, we see a shift, right? Then we see, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, right? It's a shift, and, and it's a small detail, but it's beautiful, and it's meaningful because what happens as you come to church and you ask God for mercy for whatever reason that you have, right? As your head is bowed, will you look up a little bit and you see that the brother in the f- a few rows down is doing the same thing? And you see that the sister in the front is doing the same thing as you, And you see that the preacher up front is doing the same thing as you. And you realize that Christians of all ages and God's people in all corners of the world are saying the very same thing you are, God have mercy on me. That's how God wants it. See, when we ask for God's mercy together, we are expressing our unity as Christians. God's mercy not only reconciles us to God, but it also reco- reconciles us to each other. It binds us. It makes us one. Because all of our eyes are going to one God, one throne, asking for one mercy, knowing that it has and it will come again and again and again. Amen. Um,